All right. Now, first of all, let me set the stage on this one. There's a gray area in the Supreme Court's decision on Dobbs uh, going back to justify it with a decision by our state Supreme Court. Was it 1998, Eric, in the the pro-life versus uh, Fordyce? So explain the gray area before we march and just set the set the, the playing field here. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people don't really realize that we have this weird situation in Mississippi where abortion is, is technically illegal and a constitutional right at the same time. And I know that really doesn't make a lot of sense. But you have to remember in the Dobbs case, the U.S. Supreme Court held that the United States Constitution does not protect a right to an abortion. But we have an opinion from the Mississippi Supreme Court still on the books here in Mississippi uh, called the Fordyce opinion from 1998, like you said. And it holds that abortion is a constitutional right protected by the Mississippi Constitution. And that, that opinion has not been overruled okay. as of now. we got a break coming up yep. here, so we'll, we'll take the next half hour to, uh, to do this. Absolutely. Could, could that have been taken care of in a special session uh, with the legislature? No, this is something that the courts will have to handle. I got you. I got you. All right. Back with Aaron Rice, Director of Mississippi Justice Institute. We'll give it to you in plain, simple terms. If he can't do it, no Justice Institute. And you were explaining again the juxtaposition between the, the, the constitutionality from one court to the other, and I'll let yeah. you continue, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can think about this as exactly the same situation that happened in the Dobbs case, except on the state level instead of the federal level. So in Dobbs, you had federal courts had taken control of abortion policy and, and declared that abortion was a constitutional right under the federal constitution. And uh, Mississippi and our attorney general you know, work to get that overturned, and they overturned that judicial activism at the federal level. Mm-hmm. But there is still judicial activism at the state level that still exists and has not been overruled, and that's the, the case called Pro-Choice Mississippi versus Fordyce that says that abortion is a state constitutional right, not a federal constitutional right, a state constitutional right. And so that opinion is still on the books. We have a elective abortion ban in Mississippi now. You know, it's commonly referred to as a trigger law. So after Dobbs overruled Roe, Mississippi enacted a, a ban on elective abortions in the state, but we still have a Mississippi Supreme Court opinion that says abortion is a state constitutional right. And so our case is seeking to do exactly what was done in Dobbs, but do it here at the state level in that judicial activism, get the courts out of abortion policy and allow the people of Mississippi through their elected representatives to set abortion policy in the state of Mississippi. Is is it a, a no-brainer, a cut-and-dried situation, or could there be some uh, unexpected uh, decisions from the state Supreme Court? We are very confident that the court will overrule its case in Fordyce and, and, and just really correct its error in yeah. Fordyce when given the opportunity. One reason for that, Paul is that the Mississippi Supreme Court, when it's interpreting the state constitution, can do that however it sees fit. But in the Fordyce case, the Mississippi Supreme Court relied almost exclusively on federal cases, and those you're very familiar with them. It was the Roe case and the Casey case, and they looked at those, and they, like I said, almost exclusively adopted the reasoning and and you know the, the adopted the cases really into Mississippi Supreme Court uh, rulings and so now that those have been overruled and and called egregiously wrong by the U.S. Supreme Court we think it's time for the Mississippi Supreme Court to recognize that it made an error there. So in this particular case, the Dobbs case weighs uh, into the decision from the state Supreme Court. Absolutely, especially given that the Mississippi Supreme Court based so much of its opinion on federal mm-hmm. jurisprudence. Absolutely. 
Uh, it doesn't change the the uh, the statutes that we have as far as rape or uh, mother or anything any of the language itself. No, and in fact, I mean, what we're attempting to do here is is to allow that statute to be enforced and and to get a declaration mm-hmm. that it is in fact valid and it does not violate the Mississippi Constitution. It's an interesting story, too, I mean, how we got here. Uh, One of the reasons that our client brought this case, they're the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are uh, groups that oversee them. There are professional medical societies that have just been pushing a pro-abortion agenda for years and years and years. And one of the things they've done is pass ethical guidelines that state that uh, OBGYNs have an ethical duty to provide lawful abortions and that if they don't provide those or at least refer a patient to somebody who will provide the abortion, then they can be disciplined uh, both by professional medical society and by the state. And so these pro-life physicians really need clarity on what the law is in Mississippi and for the courts to tell them that, in fact, the elective abortion ban that Mississippi has enacted that's valid. You don't have to provide abortions. You're not going to or refer patients no. for abortions. You're not going to get disciplined by the state if you don't. Had had we had any incidences of that, or the, the where a mother's life was in danger because of this? And I think you have communicated with the Mississippi State Board of Medical Licensure, and of course, a uh, uh, former guest on this program, uh, Executive Director Dr. Kenneth Cleveland. Have you talked with him? About this case? Yes. No, I mean, we have not talked with him. I mean, really, we need to talk through his lawyers since we've, you know, got a, a pending lawsuit here. But, uh, but no, I mean, it's interesting. These, these professional medical societies have been pushing uh, and really kind of reserving the right, is how I would call it, to punish physicians. And when I say professional medical societies, I don't necessarily mean the Board of Medical Licensure. They are, the Board of Medical Licensure is authorized to punish physicians if they're punished by these professional medical societies. And these professional private medical societies are the ones that have, have really pushed this agenda and put pro-life physicians at risk of discipline both by those associations and yeah. necessarily by the state. What a what a weird quirk when you start thinking about it. Where Dobbs originated, of course, in Mississippi, and and I'm not sure does anybody else having problems like this in the other state. I'm not aware. Post Dobbs, yeah, I'm not aware of another state that has both <laughs> the, crazy. The, the quandary we're in. I mean, it is it absolutely is crazy, Paul. I mean, yeah. we're in a situation where abortion, technically speaking, is both illegal and legal at the same time, depending on Mm -hmm. whether you're looking at Mississippi laws that have been passed by the state legislature and signed by the governor, or if you're looking at an opinion of the Mississippi Supreme Court. And then, of course, this was fodder, and it was used by the Democrats during this past election. I'm not going to get back in there and rehash the Roger Wicker interview earlier. But, I mean, they used this over and over and over again. There were were stories out there. Some uh, mother almost died in Tennessee. Uh, there, there were several stories like this that they couldn't get to an abortion clinic one way or the other, and and then you start looking behind the scenes on this one, and most of that was not fabricated, but it was exaggerated in a lot of different ways. But. Absolutely, and and some of that has just been been very odd to, to me to see play out, and and some of yeah. the kind of misinformation you hear even here in Mississippi because we've already talked about it, but. The elective abortion ban in Mississippi, you know, is very clear that it does not apply to cases where, you know, the mother's life is in jeopardy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't see any reason for any physician to be confused about that. But honestly, I think it's these same professional medical societies that we've already talked about that are kind of ginning up that confusion. So they should be stepping in and letting their doctors know, hey, look, the law in Mississippi allows you to do these things, but I think they're remaining silent to try to sow confusion, and it's really just a part of their pro-abortion agenda, I think.
Well, here's a while. Anything else on this subject? Well, you know, we've got uh, Andy Taggart, who's our co-counsel on this mm-hmm. case. Uh, of course, he's a founding partner of uh, the Taggart, Rhymes, uh, and Wiggins Law Firm and, and a very successful and prominent attorney here in Mississippi. And so we're just really glad to have him on board helping us. You know, MJI can't litigate the cases that we do without good attorneys uh, like Andy stepping up and helping us to do it. Aaron, what's the what's the timetable on this one? Well, you know, we just filed this yesterday, <coughs> and so we haven't even received a response from the state yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard to say, Paul. I don't know exactly what the timeline will be, uh, whether it will be kind of put on an expedited track or not. It, a lot of that depends on what the court does and, and how the parties uh, litigate it. There's an appeal process, no appeal process. I mean, as soon as the decision is made by the courts, that's the, fina- the well, final? There, it's filed in Hines County Chancery Court right now, and mm-hmm. it, it ultimately, very likely, will be, either way, will be uh, appealed up to the Mississippi Supreme Court, and they're the ones that will make the final I decision. There is no appeal from the Mississippi Supreme Court on this issue. Have you guys gotten involved, or why aren't you involved in a couple of other things that I've always wondered about this? Number one is school choice. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't that be something that you guys would get involved Yeah, and put legal pressure on that? Yeah, well, we absolutely have. I mean, you may remember that, that MJI uh, intervened into a lawsuit, uh, and we did that in order to defend Mississippi's Charter School Act. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and we were successful in doing that. The Southern Poverty Law Center had filed a lawsuit. Uh, claiming that the Charter School Act that was passed by Mississippi was unconstitutional. It violated the state constitution. And so we represented a group of parents who sent their children to charter schools here in Mississippi. Yeah. And we intervened yeah. in that lawsuit and helped defend the act and were successful at the Mississippi Supreme Court. So I agree with you, Paul. I mean, I think school choice is an incredibly important thing here in Mississippi. I wish we had more legislative uh, progress on that. And, you know, our policy arm, the Mississippi uh, Center for Public Policy, is working very diligently on that issue. I, I, honestly, it's one of our highest priorities going into this legislative session. Well, it would seem that there would be a natural uh, movement over to the the, the complete school choice yep. from from uh, the the vehicle you rode in on, as far as charter is concerned. When you have, say, a single mom who lives on Oak Street and right across the street is a school that is a well-performing public school, but she happens to be drawn into a line that has to send her school, her kid, on a bus to an underperforming school, another public school. So she can't choose public uh, school to public school. Seems to me that that would be number one and that would be an easy thing to win in, in today's climate. Absolutely, I agree with you. I mean, one of the things that's the saddest to me is just to see children who are trapped in failing school districts. Yes. They, they can't get out of them. They don't have the, the money or the resources to send their kids to private school or any of that. And so I agree with you, Paul. I, I do think that, you know, one of the, just like you said, kind of the easy first step to that was to, for us to get charter schools in the, in the state, at least. And those could open up, especially in areas that had a failing public school. But, you know, it, there's really been kind of uh, just not as much progress on that front. And for a host of reasons, I think the the charter school authorizer board has not really worked with some no. of the applicants to get more charter schools open in the state. And there's a lot, there's a lot of other things that go into that. But I, I do think we need to see more progress on the charter school front. And like you said, ultimately, I think we need to do more to open up schools. Well, God bless, and I'm glad you guys are here. Um, I, I have another question for yeah. you, too. Can, can you hang on for a second? Absolutely. Well, you need a rest anyway from the the driving uh, experience that you had. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I want to ask you about Blue Cross Blue Shield. Okay. And another thing that's hurting a lot of people in the state of Mississippi and uh, this UMMC and your thoughts on that one pertaining to 
your directorship at the Mississippi Justice Institute, Aaron Rice. With, with Aaron Rice from uh, the Justice Institute, the director, why not get involved? Or is it one of those areas where there's just a no-win situation on this on this insurance for the uh, in Blue Cross Blue Shield, UMMC, et cetera, et cetera? Your thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, well, when I mean, if you're asking if MJI would be involved, I mean, um, yeah. you know, this it's it's really a, a private litigation, private dispute between some private parties uh, over financial issues, which is not really what we do. I mean, we, we get involved in constitutional litigation uh, against the state. Um, and, you know, I'll say, too, I mean, I'm not an expert on this dispute by any stretch, Paul, so I don't want to give your audience the impression I am, that I am. But, um, but, I mean, I think all Mississippians who have been watching that play out, it's just, it's really an incredibly sad situation. I've talked with people who I know personally who have suffered a lot. I mean, because of this dispute and the inability for their, you know, for them to have insurance coverage at sometimes at the only provider that can provide some kind of specialty care that they need. And so, you know, as an attorney, you see this kind of thing a good bit where I, I feel like parties get so dug into their position and there's just so much animosity there that it's hard to, you know, to really uh, just just get something resolved. But I, I do, I think we all feel like the parties here, you know, need to work something out for the benefit of Mississippians. Yeah. One other thing I'll say quickly, if I can, Paul, is that I think this is honestly, you know, uh, indicative of a much larger problem we have in the state and something that MJI is working on, and that's our certificate of need process in the state. And so, you know, that makes it, as you know, and, and we have a lawsuit trying to challenge our certificate of need laws in the state, but those make it incredibly difficult, if, if not impossible, to open up other hospitals, other kind of medical, you know, uh, uh, professionals to, to provide their services. And so you wind up in situations like this where if one medical provider is having a major dispute with an insurance carrier, you know, there's hardly anywhere else to go a lot of times. And so one thing we could do is just try to get more health care facilities in the state, period, and try to open up our laws to allow for, for that so that we're not, yeah. yeah, for competition, so we're not in this position again. Well, then what happens is the end user, the, the patient's getting caught because they've done a deal with the company through their uh, workplace or whatever it happens to be, and all of a sudden, beyond they, they didn't renegotiate the contract. Yeah. All of a sudden, what they thought they had, what they signed on to, is not there anymore. And where's the legal remedy for that uh, as far as the individual is concerned? Yeah. And, and a lot of times, it's not an inconvenience. It's life and death. I, I agree with you, Paul. I mean, it, it, this is not your, your average dispute. I mean, this is really affecting... You know, ordinary people here in Mississippi, people who are very vulnerable and need health care. And, yeah. and the fact that, you know, this dispute between these these two major, you know, very large entities in the state, private entities in the state is is uh, is just very frustrating. And, and I, I do think I know everybody hopes that that those two groups can can come to a resolution on that. What else are you guys working on? Well, I mean, I, like I said earlier, we're working on our certificate of need case. Well, uh, let right me now ask you too. about this. I was yeah. going to ask you about it. Where is that now? Because we've been talking about this yeah. for a long, long time. We have, and that this case has has honestly moved very slowly. One of the reasons for that was that uh, we had some some private entities that uh, sought to intervene in our lawsuit, and so mm -hmm. we spent a, there was a lot of time back and forth early on in the case about whether they would be allowed to do that or not, and that kind of stalled the case as, out. As joining with you as friends or what? No, as 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 on the other side. On and the so other side, we okay. did have we had a group called the Mississippi Association for Home Care who represents uh, home care providers, uh, existing ones, and they intervened into the suit to help the state defend the law because you know they kind of like it. it; it protects their members. 
Um, but that where it is, to, to answer your question, we did finally get past that. After we got past that, then uh, those groups sought to dismiss our lawsuit, and so we had to fight about that for a long time, litigate mm-hmm. whether our lawsuit would be dismissed or not. It was not. And then we finally started litigating the actual case. So right now we're going to uh, serve an expert report here on December 6th that's due at that time that will lay out a, a lot more of the evidence that, that we've obtained about the effect of the certificate of need laws in the state, and, and then we'll just continue to litigate from there. The uh, And this all with the story of the rural hospitals closing and all of this, and, and I understand it's uh, it just kind of gets uh, muddied as far as the front page is concerned sometimes. Yeah. Um, anything else? I was, I was just thinking there was a couple of other things that were going on. But, well, I mean, uh, there's a lot going on at the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in this upcoming term. Yes. I mean, you know, we're going to see the Harvard... UNC case uh, about racial preferences in college admissions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that really gets at, you know, there's a whole kind of DEI uh, structure at universities now that's grown up. And, I mean, that's just a huge thing. So it's going to have a big impact on higher education, I think. And, you know, of course, uh, uh, Harvard and UNC are the oldest public and private institution, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, colleges in America. And that case involves, I mean, if you look at the statistics, I mean, it's kind of a black box in terms of how these colleges actually do, you know, acceptance of students. I mean, how much they weight race and all of that. But if you just look at who gets in, the statistics show that it's tremendously more difficult uh, for, for example, for Asian Americans to get into those universities. Yeah. And then to a lesser degree for, for white students to get in, for Hispanic students to get in. Um, than it is for African Americans, and so uh, I think that's going to be a, a very important case to watch. I mean that that's been going on for a very long time now, and I think you know a lot of people are going to be paying a you lot know, of close attention to that. You know what it's like? It's a little bit like when I'm trying to explain this on the air, like unions, um, because it's hard to say you are. There was a time in America where unions were needed. There was a time in America where we had to make some changes, where affirmative action. But they they got the job done, or they were outdated after that. Yeah, and, and and I think both of those are about the same way now. You know, it's it's interesting you say that, Paul, because the, in the case that originally allowed for that kind of uh, affirmative action, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, in, at the higher ed level, um, I've never seen a U.S. Supreme Court opinion say something that's kind of offhand and and odd because it has no basis in you know American law or jurisprudence. But one of the Justices who wrote a concurring opinion that I believe wound up kind of being the controlling opinion in the case, but um, wrote that, you know, well, we probably need to do this for maybe about 25 years or so, and then the need will be gone. So she actually said exactly what you just said, uh, but in a United States Supreme Court opinion. So we're not quite up to that clock of when that justice had predicted that the need yeah. for that would go away, but we're getting close to that clock, which is one of the reasons that Maybe when the medicine starts to kill you would be a, some kind of indication, <laughs> because it's turning on Asian. Americans because of of, of uh, the meritocracy that that they've that they've exhibited. It, it is absolutely uh, fascinating to see, and then sad crazy. to see. It's crazy to see. I mean, it, just like I said, I mean, you can look at how difficult it is just statistically. Just look at it, and if you're an Asian American. You know, if you're looking at your ACT scores and all of these things, and what seems to happen is that a lot of times these universities 
claim that they interview these students and they just have a bad personality and quote yep. unquote. And so, you know, it's pr- quite interesting to me that these universities seem to think that pretty much every Asian American they ever interview has just a terrible personality. I mean, that's just a very sad commentary on where we are. Without parents getting involved in their kids' uh, education, now even more so on some of them, I'm hoping that ch- changes with Gen Z and millennials, and I, I think it may be. I think we were at fault as baby boomers sometimes because we just turned it over to the educators. And now during this period of time, especially now certainly during social media, the things that they need to be taught and grounded, uh, they're just not getting it. As far as patriotism, the need for bonding with America, the need for understanding the differences between communism, socialism, uh, and capitalism, and things like that. And those things matter. Absolutely, Paul. I mean, I've got four young kids at home, and and I think about that a lot. And you're exactly right. I mean, you know, I love the the schools that our kids are in, but I also recognize that, you know, it's ultimately it's the parent's job to instill the values in your children that that you want to see them hold. And, you know, just like you said, I mean, you can't rely on other people to do that for you. Uh, Case in point, because now their brains are more malleable than ever before, and they were played, man. They were played by the Democrats on the student loans. (laughs) They were played on on some of the tenets of uh, the uh, Dobbs decision, Uh, and and they were, because now we see that it's before one of the courts, a court has blocked that. Yep, and, um, and 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 not to say that the administration didn't know it was going to happen, but they did get the uh, votes. Well, I mean, Paul, that's been one of the fascinating <laughs> things to me to watch too. Is is during the course of the Biden administration? I mean, you know, we yeah. MJ, I was involved in the vaccine mandate litigation, but you have this student loan thing too. And I'll just briefly say, I mean, it just seems like the administration doesn't really care if the if the uh, no, laws no. or the acts are constitutional or not. It it is what the after effects is. Just win, baby. Yeah. Somebody said that. I think it was Nancy Pelosi. Oh, <laughs> I'll leave you on the scary point. John Kerry's overseas on every microphone saying we need to do the same thing with climate change and the mandates that we did with COVID. That doesn't wow. scare the hell out of yeah. you. Nothing with it. Aaron, thank you, man. Good seeing you, Paul. Appreciate it. Safe travel.